Hey, you're listening to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and so want to make Him the centre of our lives, our community and our world. We're going to learn how to do that right now as we sit down and unpack Sunday's sermon. All right. Well, hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining us. It's uh, great to have you listening back to Banter this uh, fine Tuesday morning. My name is Murray. My name's Mitch. And uh, we're here to unpack Sunday's sermon. So, yeah. Mitch, I, uh, I wasn't there in person. I've watched it back. I've listened to it. It was, it was a great, great sermon <laughs> reflecting you. on a pretty tremendous life, a, mm. a faithful life, uh, and, and a life of, of someone mm. who really underwent some real... Um, trial <laughs> and, and, and stayed steadfast in, in all yeah. of that. Um, for you, um, William Carey obviously is, is someone that is, is quite inspiring for you. Um, what is it for you that William Carey is, is, is most impressive about him? It's his ordinariness, if that's yeah. a word. Just how ordinary he was as a person. There's another quote of his. He goes, I just plod. He just sort hmm. of plodded along <laughs> yeah. in life. Um yeah, it's you can. It's a good thing about Google. You can read so much mm-hmm. on his life, and um, I, just to refresh for Sunday, just going through some Christianity Today articles, and they just have like little heading. It just said unexceptional beginnings. Just born this obscure little rural village, you know, unexceptional family, pretty poor, shoe cobbler, but taught himself. Basically, I became self-educated. Mm-hmm. Sort of mentioned on Sunday, he loved reading about like James Cook's travels about mm. the world, and that's sort of how he developed an interest in mission. And I think that's what I find inspiring about him is he wasn't this sort of wealthy, brilliant man. He was someone who was super humble, mm. but yeah, understood what Jesus' calling upon the church was, mm. and yeah, really stood up against the culture of hyper Calvinism in mm. that day. So, hyper Calvinist is basically. Yeah, the view that, well, man really has no say mm. in any matter. Mm-hmm. It's almost, oh, like, that's why I call it hyper, because Calvinism believes that man's predestined and you can't sort of you know quench yeah. God. If God wants to call you, you have no say in the matter. You're the elect. Sure. Hyper-Calvinist goes like one step more. Basically, you almost see like yourselves as robots and God's just... So yeah. the view was, well, why do mission? If God's called them, he'll do it. Yeah. And, and that was that sort of... That's when he got up and said about the need for mission it's like young man you're an enthusiast sit down mm. blah, blah, blah. if god's gonna call the heathen he will not call you or i and it's like what like so yeah that, that was really bold to do that in mm. that era mm. and yeah i think that's what i find admirable about it and the fact that he suffered which sounds weird that you find inspiration from suffering but i do the fact that yeah. he underwent so much hardship and kept going mm. is inspirational and he wasn't this sort of superhuman guy he just persevered and yeah in one of those quotes I had on sunday um yeah when he went after he just said i'm in a strange land no christian friend a large family nothing to supply their wants and he's like well i have god and his word is sure and mm. so there's this like okay i'm just gonna trust in yeah. god and didn't mean that life was sunshine and roses but kept a faithfulness in in, in the midst of challenges and mm. so yeah, and I think too, as sort of someone who's uh, oftentimes doesn't see a lot of fruit in ministry, you sort of strive and you talk to people and you hope that people come to faith. And it's like, oh, 
And it can get very discouraging to see, well, like, took Kerry seven years before his first convert. Yeah. And, yeah, that's hard yakka. Yeah. Uh, in that time, a lot of sickness, death, his wife going insane, being abandoned by his other colleague, and just, yeah, and not taking any time off, 41 years. Yes, in India. So, yeah, that's why I find inspiring about the guy is that God uses very ordinary people. And we Mm. sort of can say that, like, oh, yeah, God uses ordinary people. But actually seeing someone like him Mm. and how God raised him up, I find that deeply inspiring. It's like, well, okay, God can use me too. And who knows what impact that will have. And so, yeah, from human point of view, 700 converts by the end of 41 years out of a country of millions is not great statistics, but it's more the legacy that he left. He inspired Hudson Taylor and the Wesleys and is really the father of the, what we call the modern mission movement. Yeah. And yeah, that whole starting to become more contextual in mission. Yeah, okay. um, yeah, right. So yeah, he really pioneered that rule. Yeah, that sort of era where a lot of Western missionaries went out yeah, to cool. proclaim the gospel. So yeah. Yeah, wow. I mean, yeah, it, it's hard to not be impressed by his... Yeah, just just continual persistence. Mm. Seven years is a long time yeah. to be in a foreign country <laughs> where you're not having a lot of fun. Like it, it is pretty, um, yeah, phenomenal. And then um, I think you it must have been outside of the sermon you're mentioning. Did he did he start at some um, orphanages as well? And ah, uh, so that was um, George Mueller. That was George Mueller. That was George Mueller. Okay, sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm mixing up our yeah, great yeah. great <laughs> Christian faith. But I mean, look, the fact the fact that he yeah lost he, one of his kids um, to malaria. It's it's pretty pretty phenomenal, and it yeah. is something which yeah I think is challenging for us because um, for me um, in my sort of walk I think I've gotten my head around the idea um, of um, you know know, people needing to undergo persecution for their Mm. faith in a very uh, one-to-one way what I mean Mm. by that is other human beings persecuting you for Mm. your faith and look I, I don't claim to fully understand the depth of that in any way but I think there's a part of me that can really get my head around okay God has called us to go out into the world and we will be persecuted by you know the community and by people at times for our faith um this seems like a a much more epic type of persecution that he's going through and it is kind of hard to fully wrestle with this idea of suffering Mm. when his intentions seem so good or at least Mm. you know his work is is you know so in line with the gospel um it's a real wrestle and i can only imagine that he would have had moments where where that was the case where you know he's kind of calling out and thinking why god why god um you obviously kind of brought up this idea of expect great things attempt Mm. great things and i think that there's some real interesting ideas there where that's seven years of expectation yes (laughs) going to um but also attempting great things Mm. and aligning that with our 24 baptisms in 2024 Mm. um and then sort of wove into this image that uh kerry uses in uh his sort of famous sermon isaiah 54 uh, Mm. which uh, i might just read again for us just uh to get it fresh in our mind as i 54 2 to 3 enlarge the place of your tent stretch your tent curtains wide do not hold back 
lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. Um, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Um, there's a lot of imagery there that, that, that really strikes me, but you sort of said you want to unpack a little bit yeah. more about the context of that, what's going yeah. on in the wider context of Isaiah 53 as well before mm. moving into Isaiah 53. Yeah, so um, Isaiah sort of can be split into two parts, chapters 1 to 39, I really deal with the Assyrian crisis in the 8th century. And then there's sort of a pause in chapter 40. It seems to be talking to the Babylonian exile. So it's sort of jumping 200 years into the future. And so, yeah, if you go to Bible college, that part of Isaiah is called Deutero Isaiah, second Isaiah. Um, so some people think there's two Isaiah. Anyway, the point is, is that whether it's like the Isaiah from the 8th century or a later Isaiah or whatever. The, the point is, is that so the first half of Isaiah is about the um, Assyrian crisis, and sort of, and that chapter thirty-nine sort of ends with um, King Hezekiah showing the Babylonians his treasury. And Isaiah's like, "What are you doing, man? This is a sort of paraphrase. What are you doing? This yeah, is yeah, yeah. not good." And God, yeah. God's going to bring judgment. Hezekiah's like, "Oh well, it's not in my lifetime, so I don't really care." And then it sort of jumps to forty, and when we enter it, so Isaiah forty, which I'll just pull up now. Um, Actually, it begins the, the gospel of uh, Mark. Um, of, um, so it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that is, she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. And so it's almost like 39 anticipates the Babylonian exile. Mm. And then 40 sort of kind of jumps ahead, mm. skips all like the horror of 587 and sort of speaking to the people in Babylon. And so 40s there's that like comfort. It's like, okay, mm. the sin of being paid for, exile's done, now it's time to come home. And so Walter Brueggemann calls this part of Isaiah the homecoming, mm. so getting prepared to go home. And in, in these chapters, we're introduced to a figure called the servant. Mm. And there's, yeah, some debate about who is this person. Now, mm. Christians would identify the servant as Jesus, and that's what the apostles do um and the early church writings definitely sort of point that way um yeah probably jewish would see the servant as representing of the nation of israel but hmm. kind of summarize yeah israel's called to be a holy nation hmm. like god's servant to be holy and they're not holy and so there needs to be a sort of this servant raised up who will lead the people back into holiness hmm. and yeah, and so that's the role a servant is to, to suffer mm. to bring about this change. And yeah, Isaiah 53, it's yeah, a very, very famous passage mm. for Christians. Um, yeah, and it talks about yeah, him, like he growing up like a tender shoot. It's Isaiah 53 too, like a root out of the ground. Had no beauty or majesty to attract us. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. And so it seems, mm. as reading through the eyes of Jesus, like, well, it clearly is, seems to be pointing to Jesus. And he takes up our pain and our suffering, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that was upon him, um, that brought us pieces on him by his wounds were healed. And then the classic is I-53-6, mm. you know, if you know your coal, ba-ba-do-ba-ba, I-53-6. Right, And so I-53 really talks about, um, yeah, this, this servant that's crushed and oppressed um, for our sake. And so, 
when Kerry preached that, that passage from 54, look, we really are speculating here, but a, a number of people saying, well, William Carey seemed to know his Bible. He wouldn't have picked this passage just because I oh, liked the image of a tent. He seemed to be mm-hmm. pointing to something, which would be really fascinating to see what the actual sermon had. Yeah. So you look at 53 and those sort of verses that we looked at on Sunday and talking about, yet it was the Lord, this is from verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And it's interesting, it's like, okay, who's his offspring? Hmm. And so... Yeah, and then you kind of keep reading about how he suffers, he's going to get rewarded, he'll, the servant will justify many, he'll give a portion, he'll be given a portion among the great, divide the spoils among the strong. And so, yeah, this idea, okay, the servant's going to suffer, and his offspring he will see. So mm. I was like, okay, he's going to die, but then also see his offspring. Like, it's kind of anticipating, in many ways, Jesus' death and resurrection. And so then when you jump to chapter 40, you're like, okay, we kind of got the back of our head, this suffering servant who will see his offspring. Mm. Then suddenly we shift to 54, sing barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. And um, so clearly Isaiah here is riffing off the matriarchs of Israel, mm. Sarah, um, yeah, Rebecca, yeah. Leah, yeah. All, all of them, all, all these sort of, even Hannah to an extent. And so what, and oftentimes in the prophets, cities are represented by women. Mm. And so Israel, or Jerusalem, I should say, has become this barren city in exile. Mm. And so now, just like Sarah was given the promise that through her, um, or Abraham and Sarah, I should say, but through them, that yeah. they would have many descendants. Yeah. So... In the same way, this barren woman now, mm. she can rejoice because mm. it's going to have children. Mm. And yeah, the, the idea being it's not just a literal woman. There seems to be something deeper, a city. Mm. And so when we think about the New Testament, the church is described as the bride of Christ. And so, mm. yeah, I find it interesting. You've got this servant imagery who's described as having offspring. And then 54, you've got this barren woman who's mm. going to have, yeah, lots of kids. Mm. And then the next verse is when you talk about the tent spreading. And so what is cool here, and I have some little notes. Um, so this is from a book called, um, from Greg Beale, about the temple as the dwelling place of God. And so Beale here um, talks about how this is I-54, 2 and 3. It points to Genesis 28 and it's the only time in Genesis um, 28 14 where it says I'm just quoting from him from his book he says it's the only promise that contains the precise wording that Abraham's seed will spread out to affect the nations and so hmm. um, yeah this idea so in Hebrew the word seed zera, which we sometimes translate as offspring or mm. children zera is a bit like the the English word sheep it can be singular or mm. plural and so yeah and um Actually, Genesis 28 is also interesting because if I pull that up, I should have pulled this up earlier. Um, so, yeah, Genesis 28, 14 is actually around um, Jacob's dream mm. at Bethel. And mm. so, yeah, as um, Jacob's, you know, he escaped from his brother Esau after sure. sort of, you know, 
tricking Isaac, his father, from the birthright. And here, yeah, when he has this dream at Bethel, which means place of God and the stairway up to heaven and the angels descending. And, and yeah, it says here, this is verse 14, your descendants. So that should be Zerah in Hebrew. So Zerah, your offspring, Zerah descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring, your mm. Zerah. And so Bill's saying, well, that verse, so Genesis 28, 14 is riffing off Genesis 1, 28, which is be fruitful and multiply, sure. fill the earth, um, subdue and rule it. And so now Jacob's been given, like he's following Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, mm. that's commission, that promise, mm. that all the world will be blessed through the yeah. children of Israel, which ends riffing off the blessing given to Adam and Eve at creation. Yeah. And so he's saying these allusions here in Isaiah 54 are pointing to mm. that that this is sort of the fulfillment of what Jacob saw mm-hmm. at Bethel this mm-hmm. this spreading out yeah. of a tent so yeah I have no idea if Kerry was thinking about that but this is what's really cool and it's interesting like I said it's a really interesting passage to choose to encourage people into world mission mm. <laughs> like if you mm. yeah you got a hyper-Calvinist era and he's written yeah I always forget the title of the book I just call always call it the inquiry the in, um I wrote it down somewhere. Anyway, uh, the, uh, the, inquiry, the inquiry into the obligations of Christians to use means for the conversion of the heathens. <laughs> like, nice. what a mouthful. <laughs> so, like, so he's just written that in this hyper Calvinist era, and he picks this passage, which just, oh, we well, just stick with Matthew 28, surely. So, yeah, there's something deeper going on there. And, as the, the massive Old Testament nerd I am, this part of me is like, mm, yeah, Kerry, what a man. Picking, like, <laughs> picking the Old Testament, like recognizing yeah. like the, the deeper sort of like intertextual sort of illusions that mm. are happening. And then two from Isaiah. So in Isaiah 51, um, let's pull that up. All these things. So there's one of the hard things about reading prophecy is that some chapters you get... Um, these connections that these questions or connections that come up um and so yeah Isaiah 51 it says listen to me who pursue righteousness you who seek the Lord look to the rock from who you cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who gave you birth when I called him he was only one man and I blessed him and made him many and so Isaiah 51 three chapters earlier sort of like it's like hey remember the promise I've given and Mm. our 54 is sort of picking up Mm. on that imagery Mm. and then if we even jump back further to chapter 49 so i mean the old testament starts to get quite um quite dense as you start to dig in a bit deeper yeah it's playing on a lot of textual allusions from previous things and And so then in isaiah 49 um from verse 12 um yeah it says here um but zion said so jerusalem zion has been personified um, as a woman, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. And it's saying, well, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? And so throughout Isaiah, it's been sort of building up this tension of the exiles. Yeah. Of like, okay, yep, Zion, the, the woman mm-hmm. personified, mm-hmm. the barren one's sort of like, oh, I've been forgotten. I've been forsaken. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I haven't forgotten you. Mm-hmm. And then 51, it's like, remember the promise I've given to Abraham? Mm-hmm. And then in 54, it's sort of talking about, okay, the tent's enlarging, all these sort of mm. images that have been building up. Yeah. 
are now coming through and the servants like quite connected to that and so mm. that's where 53 pays that pivotal role of mm. the one who suffers in order to justify many so mm. that they can enter into Jerusalem and then and one more sort of cool little reference from Isaiah in chapter 30 Jerusalem is also described as um, as a tent hmm. and yeah and so that's where they like those um, images in Isaiah 30 it's a problem with my notes I have I've nearly 5,000 words of notes <laughs> this is what I do when I start to prepare sermons the, the, and have the brain like, dump yeah pretty much it's like trying to find them all anyway I can't find the document but in Isaiah 30 there's the talks about like Jerusalem being this um yeah this this tent whose pegs aren't like aren't pulled apart it remains mm. firm and mm. steadfast and so mm. that idea of tents as I mentioned on Sunday it, it's what the early patriarchs did um there's such a, there's a cool little reference in um, Genesis chapter 10 in the genealogy, which Table of Nations, which no one probably ever reads, mm. let's be honest. If yeah. you or, or at the very least skims. Yeah, you're like, oh, <laughs> like, um, you're like, oh my goodness, I just don't care about this stuff. And yeah, and sort of you got, you got Shem and they're these sort of like people that aren't very good. They mm. sort of... By good, by like world standards, they sort mm. of live in tents. They're, mm. they're not building cities or mm. any, doing anything fancy mm. or impressive, but they live in tents. And that's that idea is that, well, actually, that's what God wants. It's actually mm. the, t- the tent dwellers mm. that he desires. And mm. so, yeah, it, and that's how like Abraham lives for so long. He lives in like a tent. Mm. with God's presence and so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob too like he's sort of yeah they kind of in the land not in the land living in tents and Sojourners, so yeah, wanderers wanderers yeah. yeah and that's the ideal mode is in the desert God's there in a tent with them and so now personifying um, yeah the, the, the barren woman with lots of children the enlarging the tent it's this idea this is like the ideal mode of being with God mm. and so yeah, that's a very, very complex and long-winded way of unpacking mm. William Carey's sermon. But yeah, and trying to understand his motives. But if you're kind of a bit lost and confused, that's okay. The, the simple answer is like Carey probably understood because of what Jesus has done as a suffering servant. Mm. He has now created a set of offspring that all nations can be part of. Mm. And yeah, God's desire is to spread out that tent for the city of Jerusalem to be filled, for mm. people to be living with him. And yeah, they used the term heathens quite a lot back then, recognizing yeah. that the heathens were... Yeah, it's a bit jarring. Yeah, I know, heathens are heathens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he recognized that the heathens at that time, they weren't part of this tent. Yeah. And they need to join that. And mm. that's what, yeah, I imagine drove him and strove him mm. to do what he did. Is that, yeah, it's not just... Yeah, the going against that hyper Calvinist Calvinism of that day. It wasn't just the elect who sit there and just sort of God's just chosen. You actually need to go do something. You need mm. to attempt mm. great things. God, God will move. Yeah, God does do stuff, but we need to do it. And that's what yeah, just part of that whole tent imagery I love is that 
yeah, just imagine. And you do it like, it's a question I ask, like what, what image comes to mind? You think of a te- tent spreading. It's like, well, things getting too full. We have to just keep building, mm. building, building because mm. we can't contain what's mm. there. And that's really what Jesus was calling the church to do mm. is to spread out from yeah. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends yeah. of the earth. So, yeah. I, can't, I can't help but the, the first thing that I sort of thought of when you were reading it was thinking about the tabernacle and, mm. the, and the tent in that way of um, God's dwelling place. Mm. Um, yeah, do, do you sort of feel like there's any significance there? Obviously, yeah, the, the, the tent as a domestic dwelling, yeah. um, but also the tent as the dwelling of, of God and inviting yeah. people into that holy yeah. space. Uh, which, you know, then kind of goes all the way into, you know, Revelation when, yeah. you know, the idea there's no more gates on the city yeah. walls that people are sort of welcomed in. Yeah, yeah. And this idea that, yeah, it's not just welcoming people into the family as sort of like a third cousin twice removed, mm-hmm. but it's really this idea of allowing them to even... I, I found it really interesting, that idea of stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, mm. sort of almost... For me, like letting them right into like, the holy of holies, like mm. right into the middle of it. I think that that is something that is, yeah, a good challenge for us. Again, looking into, mm. you know, our very bold vision mm. uh, and, uh, you know, sort of goal yeah. of, of 24 baptisms in 24. What does that look like to really bring people in? Mm. It's not just, you know, opening the sliding doors mm. on a Sunday there's this idea of us needing to be stretched mm. as well, mm. which is a yeah. kind of fascinating thing that really there's cool. maybe a certain, um, a, a reaching out mm. and an and uncomfortableness, a growing, a stretching mm. in that as well. Um, I think the reality is, um, and this is, you know, s- sort of a little bit of a confession. Sometimes on Sunday, I just want to talk to my mates who I already know. Mm. Like, that's the yeah. reality. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I haven't seen you all week. Or maybe, mm. you know, if we've sort of missed each other for a few weeks, like, hey, I feel like I haven't spoken mm. to you in quite a while. I think it can be very easy to be tribalistic in maybe a milder yes. sense of just, you know, friend groups yep. and being a little bit clicky. And I think this idea of stretching seems to, for me, I, I also think of growing pains <laughs> and this idea that it's it's not really comfortable, yeah. you know, is that idea of overextending mm. sometimes. Um, I think that's a really helpful challenge for me anyway, Ooh. hopefully for some other people, um, uh, on what that truly mm. looks like to stretch out the, the tent curtains wide and, and spread out to the right and the left. Um, it's not always the comfortable option it's not always the easy option yeah and yeah i guess that comes down to and also said too on sunday about the idea of treasure is kerry recognized whether or not he used this language we recognize where his treasure was because yeah if his treasure was on earth he would have just stayed in england yeah as a cobbler poor but would have had a probably much simpler easier easier life. marriage yeah son who's probably still alive yeah, you know yeah. there's sort of well it's pretty remarkable they reckon in those days the average english man life expectancy in rural india was six months the average life, life expectancy of like a english like a westerner in living in rural india at that time was six months wow so it's like, pretty much a death sentence yes yeah, like just because of the disease and the food and everything and wow. so yeah it was 
Yeah. I remember when I did the perspectives missions course before going to Bible college and the guy running it said, yeah, Kerry would not, no modern mission agency would have taken him. They would have said, no, you don't qualify. And he says, just shows you how we put our standards onto people. And it goes in a way to protect them. But yeah, like yeah. He, like just the psychological and the physiological sort of, yeah, ways we assess people now for mission candidacy is so different. They're like, yeah, he would not have passed the muster. They would have said, no, nope, you're not going. There's no way. And so, yeah, which I find, yeah, challenging because we want to protect people a bit. But also what I find encouraging is that, yeah, if someone that in the modern world, like a CMS or a... Even what's it called now? Not Global Interaction. What are they called? The Baptist Sim? Mission Australia, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. SAM. All those yeah. would have said, "No, nah, you don't qualify." And yeah, God, like using someone who, in modern terms, wouldn't qualify for ministry mm. in that. Mm. It's so uh, yeah, and that's stretching. <laughs> like you said, he stretched himself yeah. massively, and it came with great. Yeah, I'm. I think there was two. He's at one point his sister-in-law was there, and they're sort of like, "Come on, he just." just go home you just have to show. end this yeah. and it's like no and I imagine that, like you said that pressure and so mm. yeah that's stretching and like you know we're probably well look maybe some of us are called to do what Kerry did sure. radically but yeah just being that stretch because it is easy to see church as just a bit of a, a holy huddle social club yeah yeah and and to not want it to change yeah. like there's almost this idea that maybe there's an element that we have to be willing to sacrifice yeah. a little bit on what Sunday looks like mm. for us to really see church become everything that God wants mm. it to be yeah um, yeah it's well, tricky it's a challenge and that's a huge challenge always more uh, room in the tent <laughs> yeah and look yeah I think the, t- the thing is is like just carries like I said before, his boldness to speak up against the culture at that time. Yeah. That, that's, it's easy to read like some 300 years later and go, oh, yeah, that's great of him. But then <laughs> yeah. to kind of contextualize it, well, what's the thing that we need to stand up to? It's like, oh, man, okay. Like mm. that challenges us, that, that radicalness of mm. it. And yeah, that desire to see the kingdom come, to recognize that, yeah, the Great Commission didn't end with the apostles. It continues with us today like we still have to carry Mm. that mandate on and yeah what's yeah I often think about this and yeah like in 70 years time if I'm still alive and kicking I'll be a hundred and what's that 135 now so 70 years so I'll be 105 like yeah yeah, that's even if I'm alive and kicking probably not doing what I'm doing now Mm. and 70 years isn't that far away like in the grand scheme of Mm. things but the kingdom is eternal and that's important to sort of keep, for me, important to keep that mindset of like a time frame of like, well, mm. yeah, you're going to p- pursue something that's just going to fade away and that people are going to mm. forget about. Or pursue something that, yeah, people might forget about, but God doesn't forget about because it leaves an mm. eternal legacy. And yeah, again, which is why I was drawn to that that Matthew six twenty one passage for our theme verse and word for your treasure because it really is treasure really is just another way to describe your value what you value the most is what yeah. you put your time and energy into sure. and if you sort of value the here and now and look of course there's elements of the here and now which aren't inherently evil but if that's your number one priority well what's going to leave you but if your number one focus is the kingdom, which Jesus says, yeah, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be given to you. And that's the context of food, water, all that shelter. And in our context, probably self-esteem, you know, 
self-image, all, all that stuff, because we're not worried about food and clothing. Mm. That will be covered if you just keep seeking first the kingdom. And mm. so, yeah, that's, yeah, d- deeply challenging, but also to, I think, encouraging, because too. Okay, Kerry, and there's so many uh, cool missionaries out there and men and women of faith who were just ordinary. They weren't, when we did our saints video last year, mm. those people are kind of crazy, you know, they were the, <laughs> like, non-stop yeah. praying or you know yeah. giving up yeah tremendous personal sacrifice or whatever it was like those monks live very very yeah i use spiritual inverted commas like they kind of some of them locked themselves away where i look at a carry like well, this guy was just a normal person who just had a heart and so mm. I look around our church and i was like well god could use any of us to mm. accomplish things if we just have the willingness to be used and so you don't think that about my life. I was like, well, I'm not really anyone that special. But yeah, just God to use me in small ways, great ways, whatever it is. But just the privilege of being able to do it to make an eternal impact. That's, yeah, mm. a cool thing to be part of, part mm. of that legacy. And so, mm. yeah, be part of tent, tent building, tent making, mm-hmm. tent, tent spreading. Tent stretching. <laughs> yeah. Tent stretching. So uh, there's, I, I can't help but think, you know, you can't mention his um his sister coming to india yeah. and being like hey like william what's going on here mate mm. like gotta gotta get home yeah um it strikes me that i think a lot of um you know church planting organizations for instance say you know you need to be able to be financially self-sufficient within mm. two years or within five years. You've spoken about how Kerry himself w- wouldn't have been, you know, eligible to mm. be a missionary in any of the sort of Australian mm. organisations that we know of. Um, when when do you sort of finally say, okay, God, like maybe you're closing a door here? Like, yeah. how how do you sort of discern that difference? Yeah, Is there? I'd I'd love to sort of yeah. know some of Carrie's inner inner thinkings mm. in like the the start of year seven when there's still yeah. not a single person has come to Christ. Like, at what point are we? flogging a dead horse are we trying to push against a door that Mm. god's closing and at what point is you know god maturing us maturing you know so preparing the soil for something Mm. it's it's a really hard question it is incredibly hard um yeah i i only only read like a chapter of this book because i didn't have time for it but it was on our uh, (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) so many books i love to read but it was on waiting waiting for christ's coming and it described like when we think of waiting, we think of a waiting room, which is boring. Yeah, and it's like it's sometimes part of the righteous is that in scripture, um, there is this theme of the righteous are patiently waiting. Yeah, and that's what sort of Peter talks about in his letters. It's like, ah, well, you know, it's going to come a time where scoffers are like, ah, well, it hasn't happened yet, so it's not going to mm. come. And yeah, I often think of like a Noah. Like he spends a lot of time on that boat waiting for those waters to come down. He sort of sets a bit of a template for that of like, okay, yeah, you're saved, but you're going to have to wait and wait and wait like 150 days till the the floods completely subsided. Or yeah. the Israelites, 400 and something years in Egypt. That's a mm. long time. Yeah. Yeah. I often think about those that are in year 199, mm. year 260, mm. even year... 370 you know close yeah. you just think well god's abandoned us yeah and so 
yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, or even like a Moses, forty days, forty nights up, up on the mountain. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have an easy answer, but I do know this is that Scripture says sets like a longer time frame than what we yeah. are accustomed to. We sort of want something now, mm. a bit like a, you know. If you want a chocolate from you know a vending machine, you stick your two dollars in, you get it. There's instant gratification, which is what our society wants. So we probably want that from God too. It's just well, I've prayed, so it should happen now. Mm. I want to say this now, and I'm guilty of that because yeah, we want stuff sure. to happen now. I'm sure, we all are. Yeah, yeah, you know, I've prayed. I'm like, well, it's been like a week. Why hasn't anything moved? Like, come <laughs> yeah, on, yeah, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah. Hurry up! Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, and so yeah, like like how do you know that you're flogging a dead horse that this door's shut? Yeah. Because it comes down to like calling, yeah. And for me, I've always felt the calling as this sort of. Well, coming to Jewel was super interesting because we knew straight away. I remember clearly it was February, so it was probably about three years ago actually, because it's February now. Yeah. Funnily enough, yeah, yeah. I remember I was walking to Regent's Park and I saw this almost like X, like a big red X over the building. I was like, okay, yeah, their season's shut. Like I knew that. And then my first time coming here, it was almost like I saw like this big green tick over the place. I was mm. like, okay, this is... And so that's probably for me, like I've kind of always had that sense of calling, of knowing. Mm. Like that's kind of been my relationship with God is this sense of like, yeah, I can't really explain it. It's, mm. yeah, sometimes it's almost like real clear, like I know this is what's going to happen. And some might say it's prophetic or just, it's just how I've kind of been with big spiritual decisions, felt this. By the times you left, kind of like, I have no idea what to do with this. Mm. I don't know a way forward. And so it's not a hard and fast answer. There's mm. yeah, some matters you pray about, you're like, I just have no idea what to do here. Mm. There's just no clarity on that. But yeah, sort of, I guess the kind of cliche answer is, well, what do you feel God's calling you to? Mm. Well, I suppose for Kerry, he felt called to India. And so. Yeah, recognize that that's where his life was. And so the hardship in that was there growing him, refining him, shaping him for the person. Yeah, God needed him to be. So, mm. yeah. That's right. Mm. But yeah, sometimes, yeah. Yeah, sometimes, but sometimes those doors do shut. And there's a sense of peace about that. Mm. That's probably too. Like, again, going to Regent's Park, I knew my time was up. I felt a sense of peace that the door was closed in time mm. to move on. Mm. And so, yeah. But um, yeah, sometimes when you're like, just because you're suffering and it feels terrible doesn't mean that it's time to pull mm. the plug. Mm. It could just be the season, a long season of just wrestling through. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, uh, I don't know. It's tough. And this is, I guess it's yeah. part of the challenge of our faith is that there's no easy answers. We're left in the grey and left to wander and to wonder and to wrestle and to... Yeah, kind of what Kerry said up uh, well, that quote, you know, I'm in a strange land, no, no Christian friends, a large family, nothing to supply their wants, but I have God. Yeah. And his word is sure. Mm. And yeah, his other quote that I had on Sunday, this is indeed the valley of the shadow of death for me, but I rejoice that I am here, notwithstanding, and God is here. So it's like, okay, like life sucks right now, but I have this thing as I have God mm. with me. And so that yeah. is enough. And so... Yeah. I guess what I'm hearing there is 
really allowing your discernment to affect your decision and not your situation yeah. to yeah. affect your decision. And I think that, yeah, when we hold on to the promises that God has given us and, and hold on yeah. to that calling and who we are made in the image of God, not the words that, yeah. you know, some old dude speaks over you saying that mm. it will never happen. Um, that is when we can really achieve the things that God has planned yeah. for us. And I think it's so tricky because we do live in that, you know, very instant gratification mm. world. But remembering that as well, that as you yeah. said, like people were in exile, not just for their whole lives, like for generations. Mm. <laughs> and yet God is still using you as part of a bigger mm. story that you were just, you know, one player in, yeah. a, in, a, in a grand universal play. But I think that um, as we sort of, come to a close today really love to sort of look at these these four centers mm -hmm. uh, and maybe just take a second talking about it because this is sort of a a big idea for us yeah. heading into 2024 um obviously our seven centers being bible centered prayer centered discipleship centered relationship centered community centered compassion centered and mission centered um the the four big centers of the week yeah. <laughs> uh were prayer missions relationship and discipleship mm. Um, in this, what, what's sort of the big thing for you? Because this is, I often find when I'm preparing a sermon, mm. I end up going away being like, actually, that, that's a good idea, God, I should do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, what was the one big thing mm. that stood out for you of those four that walking um, away, you're like, yeah. What sounds funny, probably what great thing is God calling me to do? Mm. What extra sort of thing? Um, yeah, that's probably what sort of been wrestling with a bit is some sort of, yeah, ways forward and kind of achieving our 24 in 24, mm. particularly around that sort of discipleship space of what sort of things, yeah, might need to like give up and add on yeah. and discerning that. Um, that was probably the big one. And just the praying for, um, yeah, what expectant thing, mm. which sounds odd because it's kind of pushing it, but also, yeah, like, yeah, trusting that God will do that. Mm. Um, yeah, mm. that's probably... And also to trusting that even if we don't do it, if it doesn't happen, that it's not a failure. Mm. That, yeah, okay, we, we've put this 24 and 24 as kind of, I guess, a human mm. marker to kind of give us something yeah. to aim for. But if yeah. we get three and 24, it's like, oh, well, we failed. Well, no, yeah. because we've actually started planting seeds yeah. and shifting our church culture to be like more, mm. yeah missional mm. to be more focused on discipleship and i was like that in itself's not a failure we might look we might baptize 48 this year we mm. might baptize well we're gonna baptize at least two people so you know yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. like i'm not seeing it as a failure but seeing it as like well here's something that we aim for mm. and if god's yeah wants to fulfill that that's awesome if mm. not i don't see it as a failure but i see it as like well yeah it's just a step forward and 2025 yeah. is another year and 26 yeah. 27 and so forth yeah. so yeah yeah so good mm. i love that idea of 24 and 24 almost being without being heretical a bit like the sermon on the mount like it's impossible standard <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah, even yeah. That, but ultimately mm. like we're going mm. to be better off for striving yes. towards it than not yeah. at all and this is the the point right? yeah um i likewise you know really challenged about that what expectant thing do i need mm. to be praying for because i think um 
you know, it, it can be a bit tricky sometimes. You can almost feel like you make yourself a bit vulnerable by praying mm. for big things. Yep. You know, if you sort of um, lower your expectations of God, you won't be disappointed. Yes. <laughs> then you don't need to be, you know, sort of wrestling with that fact when maybe he doesn't answer a big prayer mm. that, you, that you prayed for. Um, I think there is actually, I don't know, for me at least, and, and maybe some other people, like a sense of vulnerability there as Mm. well in having a big expectant prayer because Mm. ultimately god might say no yeah and that'll be a real bummer (laughs) or he might say maybe and i might have to wait for a lot longer than you know i was i was maybe hoping for but i think ultimately um god does want us to be praying not just for the little things but for Mm. the big things and for the expectant things and for the future so yeah a, a really i think good challenge uh for me but no really 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 appreciate it mate and i think that uh yeah, this uh, this this story of William Carey can only uh, help but encourage us both mm. in the in the good times and the difficult times. Yeah, for um, sure. Like I said on Sunday, there's so many good free like just YouTube docos on him. Just type William Carey yeah. into YouTube, and there's yeah. good like 90 minute documentaries and all. yeah, there's um and for kids too. There's uh oh, the YouTube channel is let me just pull it up. It's vision or something. It's like a Christian. It does a lot of Christian. Yeah, cool. Uh, let me just go to my subscriptions. Um, yeah. It, anyway, there's. They ca- it's called Torchfinders. Is the name mm. of like originally they're on DVD, but they're just. <laughs> I guess the world now has gone digital, and it's just on. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you can watch for kids the, like um, cartoon. Like, they're really well done cartoon movies on famous like Christians. So mm. different like. They have Augustine, yeah. they've got um, Pat St. Patrick mm. from Ireland, they've mm. got, oh, I've forgotten the name, like one of the first female martyrs from like the second century. Yeah, right. um, yeah and they're, um, oh, this type of torch, torch finders. Mm. Yeah, and it's just there on. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I mean. To- or torch lighters, I should say, torch not lighters. torch finders. No, so, right. yeah, if you just type in torch lighters, there's, yeah, these are great. So I've just typed in here the Gladys Alwood story. She was a missionary, led a hundred orphans through war-torn China. Yeah, wow. The Mary Sleesaw story. So another like female missionary. You've got Jim Elliot, the famous martyr. Yeah, here's Augustine, George Mueller, yeah. Robert Germain. I don't even know who he is. Amy Carmichael. She was another missionary to India. Yeah, St. Patrick. William Tyndale, who translated mm. the English Bible. So, yeah. yeah, I find these stories just really encouraging for me. It's like, okay, like I'm not the first Christian, yeah. <laughs> which you should know that, but I'm not, no, uh, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's inspiring to who God uses and yeah, just to yeah. see beyond kind of, because it's a bit depressing. You look at our culture and think, ah, the church is about to die. And it's like, well, actually, like God's raised up people from a, for the last 2,000 years yeah. from all walks of life. That's why I like about Torchlights. It's got men, women from all different sort of eras yeah, it's cool. and their stories. It's about half an hour long. And so sure. kids and adults can get something yeah. out of it. And it's just there on YouTube for free. So, Love you know. It. Thank you, YouTube. Plug there. <laughs> so good. So good. Well, mate, we are uh, mm. continuing along our, our treasure series. Um, and, and this Sunday I'm bringing the word uh, around uh, the secret to flourishing is, yeah, the, is yeah. the sermon title that I was given. So I like uh, that. Um, little um, Miroslav Volf article that you've yep. thrown me, which is great. But yeah, the idea of love yeah. God and neighbor. Yeah, uh, did you read the article? I haven't read the article oh, yeah. yet. I've got to do it this yeah, afternoon. Yeah, but yeah. I think the big thing that I'm also intrigued by is this idea of the golden rule. Yeah. And the idea of it being something which is not just in Christianity, but pretty much in every mm. major religion. And how does Christianity take that golden rule 
and make it different. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think that that should be um, a really, really fun time to look into that ultimately in a uh, age that, yeah, is obsessed with comfort and mm. flourishing. What does, what does a Christian flourishing look, look like? like yeah. um, so it should be really fun. I think definitely a, uh, yeah, good, good yeah. challenge for some of us maybe to love our very literal neighbors yeah, as yes. well. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm going to a strata meeting on Thursday. It's going to be really fun. So it's going to be a good challenge yeah. for, for me definitely yeah. on a more literal level. So no, it should be, should be a good yeah. one. Well, mate, thanks no, for thank the message. You. Thank you. Mm. And we'll see you on Sunday. See you then. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.